Hi everyone, my name is Deontre Sinet and I am your host for Distinct Lens Podcast. I have a special guest here with us today. Her name is Syrita. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Henry, Henry. as in the eighth. Yeah. Okay, Henry <laughs> as in the eighth. Yes. Okay, could you give us a brief uh, introduction? Like how old you are, where you're from, where you work? I'm a Londoner, born and bred, uh, 42. I work as a quantity surveyor. Mm. Um, in the construction industry, so. Um, so yeah, what is a quantity surveyor? Okay, so after an architect has given a client their drawings, they come to us to value the job and um, to timescale the job as well. So it's my responsibility to, um, from start to finish, once we win a project mm. from the start, we make sure the costs stay within the budget that we we gave at the beginning um so if it's a two-year project i have to be on top of all the subcontractors making sure i pay them on time monthly and um, updating the client of any variations uh, financial ones that could possibly make the project go above budget or even sometimes below budget when it's saving so yeah there's a lot of um there's a lot of responsibility on us to you know make sure we're on time and within budget Man, that could be a whole other podcast because I have a bunch of other questions, but mm. I'm going to leave that there for Okay, now. cool. Okay, so um, as you know, well, I'm not sure if you, well, you know, because we've had an initial conversation. I sent a pre-interview questionnaire. Mm. Uh, so a Distinct Lens podcast is about sharing the experiences of the Black diaspora for the purposes, well, in relation to financial literacy so that we can increase the practice of group economics uh, so mm -hmm. i'm super happy to have you here today uh, our you. initial conversation <laughs> is what actually uh made me think you would be a wonderful guest and so thank you we can dive right in dive right in okay so you said you're a londoner uh mm -hmm. and i hear your accent mm -hmm. um where are your parents from um i'm actually i'd say second generation jamaican mm. maybe third actually because my mom was marginally born here what is margin? <laughs> my grandma was pregnant when she came over in the wind, wind rush. So my mum was born here. Ah. and uh, But grandma is Jamaican. Um, and my dad is Jamaican as well. Okay. So, yeah, kind of second stroke, third generation. <laughs> okay. okay. But I had some experience growing up there as well. So um, it was very common in the 80s for us second generation Jamaicans to... Um, experienced life growing up back home so got sent there done a bit of schooling there mm. learning the discipline and the education system and then sort of coming back brighter actually mm. and, and and better so it's good that so that's why anyone who's not from London uh, or not even from England we would usually just call ourselves Jamaican because um, just generally uh, anybody of Caribbean origin who is here in the UK um, that's maybe my age or a little bit older doesn't have a parent that was born here. It's usually our history here is not a very long one. Uh, so that's why we will hold on to, uh, I'm Jamaican or I'm Nigerian or I'm, you know, because black people haven't been here for hundreds of years, maybe in passing uh, with slave trade and stuff, but not settling. So so yeah, very still different pretty fresh from the way that it is in, in the, the States. States. Yeah, because yeah, we've been there for, well, well, the majority of black people who are there now 
it's a remnant of the slave trade. Yeah, exactly. You'll still have great, great, great grandparents that were born in the States. I don't know that part. Or maybe great, great at least. Yeah, yeah. But here we don't. It will be parents and grandparents at my age. So... So the new, the newer generation, say the people in their twenties, then maybe they might have a grandparent that was born here. But yeah, we've not been here that long. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Okay. And um, what? Who? Who'd you grow up with? Your mom. Your I dad? grew up with my mom, a single parent family. Mum was a young mum, you know, and she she done the most and her best. Actually, she done really well to to uh keep things in shape and just having the challenges of being a young i see you smile when you, when you yeah yeah because i i appreciate i appreciate what she what she done you know it was against all odds you know and um when you, when, could you give us a little bit unpack that a bit when you say yeah against all, odds. all odds i say all approval obviously my grandma you know come from a strict christian background was not in approval of you know her Still a teenage daughter, so my mum's a young mum getting pregnant and, you know, but my mum didn't care. She just stepped up and done what she had to do. She worked two jobs. She made sure I didn't want for anything. Mm. And she was mum and dad, so... Any siblings? Ratings. <laughs> yeah, I've got a little brother. He's, um, he's 11 years younger than me, so it's just me and him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And how would you, how would you describe life growing up? Uh, here in the UK in London like what was it like Mm, London most probably the most multicultural place in the whole of England Mm. so this is where we have the most diversity you've got other cities catching up so um, fortunate there Um, and also more fortunate than what my mum experienced it England developed very very quickly because my mum's generation segregation was still very legal and very allowed hmm. so we're yeah we're talking um literally early 70s certain pubs and shops they would quite openly display that there was no blacks allowed no dogs and no irish in that order no blacks. yeah no blacks no, no dogs, dogs and no, no irish. irish yeah anyone you speak to kind of in their 50s will tell you this that well, yeah, that was born here. And that was just normal. That's like, okay, I can't go there. <laughs> and it changed really rapidly. So what was good is seeing um, integration change um, into the late 70s, early 80s. And so my generation had um, a fresh grasp on stuff. So me being born 79, I will call myself an 80s baby. Mm. And uh, yeah, I got to experience more inclusivity and equal opportunities and Thing. So that that was nice. That was good. And um, a lot had changed because there was no more uh, punishment in schools. Because, again, up until mid-80s, children could get beaten at school. <laughs> if they yeah, were, yeah, yeah, yeah. If the children were out of line. So, yeah, I kind of came when a lot of things had changed. So, um, yeah, I think my mum would say I got the good bits. <laughs> okay. Opportunity-wise as well okay. growing up. But, yeah, it was it was nice. Okay. What your what did your mom do? So mum was um she was a chef actually. She was um she went about initially chef and cleaning. She would do stuff on the side as well. She'd do everything to just kinda have the most she really liked nice things as well, so she would make sure she'd work to make sure um I I had as well. Mm-hmm. And um she could, you know, take care of her rent, 
and things. Um, here in, in the UK, you know, school's free. You can have paid schooling, but um, you don't have to. So um, that's one less burden. You know, we've got a lot more um, government help as well mm. um, with housing and things. So um, off of the back of the things she was entitled to, plus the things she wanted, she made sure she worked for it. And uh, even when I look back at my baby pictures because she used to take a lot of photographs she made sure it always looked nice and neat had on the best clothes my hair was tidy <laughs> so yeah yeah she she done the most she done the most as a young a young woman as well you know she she really done well I think okay well good mm -hmm. good so I want to ask that's what your mom did for a living did you guys discuss finances in the household not really, not with me as a child. And then growing up with a single parent family, not having to see interaction with my mum and dad discussing what bills are going to get prioritised. and um, So no, it was just knowing when I wanted something that might have not been cheap and I asked for it. And she'd be like, oh, I haven't got the money this month for, you know, um, that, was, that was the deepest finances went um, up until... I started working really young. How old? I was 12. <laughs> when you started working? Just off of my own back. It was a hobby turned career. Started doing friends hair at school in the corner of the canteen at lunchtime. <laughs> so when you say canteen, that's the American equivalent of cafeteria. The cafeteria, right. So there was a little spot. I went to a girls' school. It was an all-girls school. Um, so when the girls discovered... I was doing my own hair really well, um, I think then. So we're talking circa 91, 92. So the press curl was in, uh, the finger wave. Yeah. Everybody wanted to look like the girls in TLC. And I was doing all of those hairstyles on myself. So obviously the girls wanted in. <laughs> so I'd um, always reserve a little bit of time at lunch. Um, there was, I remember there were two plug sockets, so I put the curling irons in, and obviously to the teacher's dismay, but <laughs> we were a little bit rebellious. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was getting my paper on, and um, the girls were going home, and their parents were telling them off because they were they were convinced they were going to the hair salon. <laughs> in there, you know, actually skipping school to go to the salon. No, no, this girl called Sarita done it, I promise. Obviously, then the parents wanted to meet me. And, um, you know, when it became apparent that, yeah, I was, there was a girl at their school that was doing hair really well. Um, my mum said I could do it, uh, you know, as work, as long as I'd done my homework. So, yeah, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, any hours I could squeeze in, I was going to people. If they came to me, I was confined to my bedroom, but that was cool. And we'd use the bathroom when we needed to wash wash out, relax so the cream. Yeah, 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 12. yeah. From 12, from 12, yeah. I just got fed up of being told, oh, um, oh no, you can't have that. This, I can't afford that. That's too expensive. I knew what I wanted. I wanted to be in the latest, what you would call sneakers. I wanted this. I, yeah, I was fed up with hearing no, so I wanted to make money so I could buy nice clothes. That's all a 12-year-old wants then. It's usually clothes. <laughs> okay. How's that turn out for you? Yeah, really well. Yeah, I got everything I wanted, you know, and um, I was then also able to help my mum because I saw her struggling when my brother's dad left and, um, you know, things were tight. Um, I actually relieved her and I said, well... I can buy my own school uniform each term because I felt like I was making enough 
money at the weekend mm -hmm. and um she's like are you sure i was like yeah if i get stuck i'll let you know and i just i never got stuck <laughs> yeah up until like my late teens so yeah okay so, so you legit had like a hobby a side hustle that turned into yeah it was good a business yeah it was um that was 12 i was i was 12 in 1991 i was making like 70 pounds a week <laughs> then as a schoolgirl, that's more than enough. Um, I couldn't possibly spend all that money. So I was saving because my mum opened a bank account for me. With money, what we did discuss is that she always, you know, I think it's a thing a lot of parents will tell their children anyway. You must save, you must save. So that I knew. So three years earlier, she'd opened a bank account for me anyway and was putting little stuff in there. But when I started making a little bit more, I was just putting it in. And then at 15, when I got a debit card, so I was able to withdraw that's when I could, you know, spend my little money that I'd made or give some to my mum as a treat and surprise her. But, um, yeah. It sounds like you had an entrepreneurial spirit mm. from the jump. Mm -hmm. You was getting your hustle along with the hair in the canteen. <laughs> you know, got these girls going home, getting in trouble with their mom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you were supporting the household financially. Well, I was I was helping out. I said to when I turned sixteen, I started contributing to um, upkeep. You know, because that's when you come of a certain age and you're still at home. You know, you contribute. Well, I don't know. From a West Indian background, you don't have a choice. <laughs> Like, yes, you're it still is. here you know but yeah it wasn't a problem it wasn't a problem it made me feel responsible and um yeah you know, it's it funny i think that's black households globally like mm. when i was young and i got a job like yeah. i contributed yeah you know yeah and i'm not gonna say i was forced but you know <laughs> it's a it given was an expectation <laughs> you know what i mean yeah um, you have to mm. okay well, well mm. good 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 so I'm just thinking about that in relation to you financially contributing, you learning about saving in your household from your mom. Did you learn anything in terms of financial management in the education system? No, no they don't really. That's, that's not um, a module. <laughs> mm. It's just English, math, geography, science. Mm. you know never anything else yeah yeah you do economics later on even but again it's nothing to do with household no one's teaching you how to become self-employed how to get rich how to be self-dependent those things are not taught mm. anywhere uh in terms of the education system they're not taught at school college or uni that that's an excellent point and it's a good segue into the next question that i want to ask one of the questions on the pre-interview pre questionnaire mm -hmm. is how comfortable are you making financial decisions scale zero to 100? Mine was you 100. 100. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, elaborate on that a little bit. Like, Tell us why you're so confident about making financial decisions. Because I've been fiercely independent for a very long time and um, I've never been broke. So how can that not equate to being 100% confident with your financial decisions? Mm. <laughs> That's kind of in a nutshell. No, but, no I, li I like that. So yeah. let me ask, what would you say uh, are the key things or actions or attitudes maybe, or maybe some things that you've done in the past that have created that experience? that immense confidence that you now have. Okay, so what's created that is surely 
learning from really early on. So obviously I was saving from early 12 to I'd say 18. I was just stacking as, you know, not much else. And, and 18 is the age in this country where you can buy property. So that's what I was waiting for. So I bought my first property at 19, my first investment property. Um, so where I was doing that and obviously the, the money flow got more when I, when I started college, which you guys I think would maybe call high school college where they're between 16 and 18. So I'm not sure if that's high school. Uh, there's still high school, but I, I think what it's, you're saying, college is something different. It's about. years, it's years um, 12 and 13. So, you know, you're, you, you've got your, your school school where you're there until 11. Then yeah, you're, so you guys would call it primary school. Primary school. And you have secondary school. Yeah, what do you call that? That's your high school, right? So, we, it's actually broken up depending on where you live, live but it's essentially three different phases mm. so you go to elementary school mm-hmm. that's what we call it middle school mm-hmm. and then you go to high school right so elementary school could be from five to ten uh, that's right secondary well secondary it's middle school years 11, 11 until to 13 mm. and uh-huh. then high school would be from 14 to 18 oh wow okay cool so we have um what would be our uh, secondary school is from age 11 to 16 yeah. and then after that we've either got something called sixth form or college so um once you reach 16 um we call it further education so mm. you, you can leave school at 16 you can go and get a job you're done mm. or you can do further education which is yeah we call it college or sixth form <laughs> where you have years um your 12th year of learning and your 13th year of learning because um the the high school takes you up to year 11 that's your 11th year and after that you can leave but i done further education and then after that's higher education from 18 up which is university and you guys call college we call it yeah, well, we uni. call it we call it uni uh, as well, university as well. Yes. But when we say college and university, we're usually referring to the size of the institution ah, or the prestige of the institution okay. or the amount of courses or degrees that you can get from the institution. Right. The larger, more expensive that offer okay. more courses are considered universities. You know, those oh. on the other side of the coin would be our colleges. colleges. Oh, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. And then yeah. the types of degrees that are offered as well. You oh. know, you can't, from a college, I don't think there are too many colleges where you can get a master's degree or right. a doctorate degree in the United States. Oh. As opposed to a university, you would you would have that, Everything. that opportunity. Yeah. Ah, okay. So that's the difference. And I've just learned that now as well. So, yeah. So for us, college is literally 16 to 18 and then university is it. So you can go as an adult, as I did to do my surveying degree. I went to uni at 30, Mm. you know, because it was after doing the hair and investing in property. I wanted a career, but a more um, clerical side um, because the construction, which I will take you into, because I know you're going to ask me about that. I was doing a lot of things myself. So really hands on. I taught myself a lot of the building things because obviously so I'm starting at 19 I'm buying property but also trying to save money and be shrewd so I'm buying properties on the cheap so I'm going outside so do you still have that property right Mm, now yeah I've still got some and again so your initial question (laughs) your, your question I don't want to stray away from your question your question was um what was your question on this one it was um 
Was it to do with my... Um, what gave you the immense confidence? What gave me that confidence, right. So that was because I learned early on not to live to the edge of my means. So, for example, if you're making £3,000 or dollars a month, having all your outgoings and all your essential bills, if they take you up to $2,900, and that's living to the edge of your means, I taught myself really early on to live to 20 to 25% of my means. So, if I'm making say £4,000 a month, mm. I make sure my essentials come up to 1000 That was how I was able to save and invest as well and not, and especially because I was self-employed doing the hair. So when you're self-employed, you, you've got to, you've got to adjust for things three to six months ahead because you're not getting paid for vacations. You're not getting paid for sick leave. So you need to, you need a contingency in place for that. And, and also... you're not getting paid for benefits like medical yeah exactly so you've got to be really sensible yeah you obviously these are policies you can get out yourself and do privately right but usually it's coordinated through an organization exactly so that's why i was yeah i knew really early on that um i had to i couldn't live to the edge of my means and i was sensible enough to stay at home as long as i could (laughs) Mm. so i was making when i started investing i was at home still for another 10 years you know, mm, okay. Mm, so I'd help my mum. So how many properties do you have now? A few. <laughs> I've got um, I've got three. I need two more to retire. So that's the aim, and I want them this year. So um, yeah. Because okay. I'm done. I'm done working. That is impressive. So <laughs> I'm done. You got your first property at nineteen. At nineteen. How old were you when you purchased your most recent one? Um. So I haven't purchased for a couple of years, actually. Mm. Um, and there's been more purchases, but some were flips. So throughout the years, I flipped where you buy under market value, you do mm. up and you sell back at auction. And so what I have now is what I kept. Mm. Um, yeah, so I haven't purchased for a good eight years now because um, when I did get into the uh, quantity surveying, um getting comfortable as well and you know the the money's really good and Mm -hmm. you know it was good to relax for a bit as well because I've been pioneering from young um but at the same time I've now worked within worked for somebody long enough to know that okay um I want to teeter off now and yeah close it down but it's it's good that I've had the experience of um being able to relax on the residual income mm-hmm. that I've got plus um you know having a career that you know paid okay and I could travel because that's actually what I wanted to do so it was I wanted sort of a good few years of kind of unlimited travel where I could within the allowance of time I was given with annual leave because when you work here uh, depending on the organisation, you can get between 20 and 30 days annual leave. So um, I think it was that restriction as well that made me think, yeah, much as um, I'm enjoying this, I want more. I want. I don't want to have to be putting in requests. Oh, can I have holiday this time? That's that's what's um, inspired me to want to retire soon, <laughs> is to be able to just be free, free of those sort of restrictions and um, free from relying on a paycheck to see the next month through. Okay, um, I want to go back a bit. So you're a Londoner. Mm-hmm. 
I want to ask, what part of London did you come from? Southeast. Southeast London. Mm -hmm. And from an economic standpoint, where would you rate it? It depends. London's got pockets. So you'll have pockets of gentrified areas. Anybody from London will will, um, will be able to relate. And Mm -hmm. even now, you'll see it in places where... When you say gentrified, what do you mean? up and come there'll be a surge of like there'll be like a few little there'll be an area that has been kind of working working class but then there's a section inside that area Mm. that is middle class Mm. you know where um you know people have just bought up some properties or even developments have been built um it's happened you've got areas like um You've got Peckham in that southeast London. It's not too far from where I grew up. So I grew up in Lewisham, um, which was always like a very working class to poor area. But then you have little pockets in Peckham that you couldn't, you know, the average person couldn't even afford mm. to buy a house, you know. And then you'll have like these jazzy, these sexy little restaurants and corner bars. You can tell you're in a different part and then you go around the corner. <laughs> And it is a local authority housing estate, you know. So that's why I say you'll have little pockets. So it's really hard to say there's one part of London that is, um, be, I'd say, yeah, within the last 10 years, a lot of the poorer boroughs mm. have got gentrified pockets in them. Um, so where I was, yeah, it was working class at the time. But now it's really up and coming. Um, okay. Yeah. It's literally changed within the last five, ten years, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. That's that's really interesting mm. to hear you say that. How, how did that, did you stay in that area and how did that yeah. impact you? My mum's still there. I've moved further out. I'm in um, Greenwich now. So again, that's kind of like a working to middle class borough. But again, you'll still get really poor, even maybe poverty stricken parts, you know. And I wouldn't have known that until... I watched a documentary a few years ago about the rate of unemployment. Um, you know what the name of it is? Sorry? The name of the documentary? I can't remember. I can I can find out for you. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting because even me, I was quite ignorant to how many people didn't work in my local area. And um, yeah, very interesting. Um, but again, here, the benefit system, the benefit system is fairly generous. You know, as opposed to the third world or even <clears throat> say where my grandparents are from, like there, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> Whereas here, people are a lot more relaxed and can give really stupid reasons for not being able to work and, you know, find themselves claiming benefits and, you know, having a roof over their heads and living. So some people are happy to skate on that, whereas you, then you have those that want more. So then they will go out and unlimit their cells. Okay. Um, I was just thinking about something as you were talking. <clears throat> you bought your first piece of property at 19. Mm. Like, what motivated you to do that? So, <clears throat> obviously, I was doing the hair and beauty, and I knew I wanted to... I just always had heard that your yeah, property is a good investment. It made sense to me. I'd done a little research then. The internet wasn't as great as it is now. I think it was only just coming out. When I was 19, yeah, that was... 89 so it was really before the boom of the internet so a lot of it was research through books and uh the library and it was actually a client um her husband was one of my hair clients her husband was a banker 
and um she was regular or regular for what she had done i think she used to have like bum length braids <laughs> three four times a month so obviously he'd see me there braiding for like 14 hours there until like two in the morning uh but he could see that he could see my grind like <laughs> he could see he could see my hustle and one day he just said to me like what are you he said i can see like you're working really hard he said i know you're stacking he said what what are your what are your goals and i said oh i want to buy property you know i was i was actually saving enough to buy a property cash because i'd done some research on what it was to buy cash on the coast mm. and i was pretty much there and he says, oh, no, don't do that, you know. And it was him that gave me, like, a little bit of schooling about um, using it and putting putting a percentage down on um, three different properties of what I had saved. And, so when um, you say put a percentage down, you would put, put a percentage down on the mortgage. Just get do a mortgage rather than do a cash buy. Yeah, yeah rather than doing a cash so buy. use other people's money. Absolutely. And that's, a, that's what I wasn't, that's what I wasn't educated in. And he, he, um, he just schooled me and... I was a good student. It's like he led a horse to water and I drank. <laughs> mm. I drank the whole lake. You know, I took it all up, took his information in and yeah, that was a good time to be buying between then and 2007 before mm. the, uh, the housing boom. Because yeah, you had it in the States as well, right? Was it yeah. the same kind of time? Yeah. And even after then was a buyer's market. So it was great for me and my little, doing my little flips and things. Um, having a bit of experience at auctions. So I've bought a few auction properties as well. Mm. <clears throat> for below market value, flipping them, making a percentage and then reinvesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, one of the other questions I asked, what was one of the most impactful publications? You said Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me why. So I read that only very recently. Um, literally at the beginning of lockdown so let's call that February 2020 mm -hmm. just over a year ago and um, even though it's telling me things I'm actually already doing it's nice to see it um, iterated you know writing on our heart and then it's just fine-tuning things for me so that helped me that made me decide that yeah I just need two more properties to retire I need to do this 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 and this it it kind of just gave me that kick up the bum I needed to to really um stop being relaxed and comfortable with a good salary and why not get more by doing less you know working smart rather than working hard so that couple more investments will allow me the wealth of time because people always talk about wealth mm -hmm. in monetary terms but you can be time rich as well which is what I want like I said to you I like to travel I like to go away <laughs> as soon as I can you know all the time I love holidays so um that will create some time wealth for me so that's interesting you said that so you were motivated by reading that book Reach mm -hmm. Dad Poor Dad by Robert mm -hmm. Kiyosaki mm -hmm. um what are you doing right now and I like that phrase to be time wealthy like what is what does that look like Sarita right now. Cool. So it's literally stacking for those last two properties and then I'm done. <laughs> that is mm. it. That that is that's my light at the end of the tunnel. Um so um the reason I had time during um the first lockdown is because I was one of the unfortunate ones to get laid off and lose my job myself and nine other colleagues did. Mm. Um but I'm not even gonna call it misfortune or unfortunate. 
uh, because actually that this was during COVID. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people lost their jobs, and at the level I am as well, a lot of senior management got laid off because obviously they're more expensive. Um, when I it was myself and eight other colleagues where I work where I was working last, and I know that my director had to be doing my work because you know with redundancies it's actually those who are left behind because the workload doesn't go down um and then you've got less staff so yeah it was I'm sure it was you know very challenging times for a lot of people but for me and again what I said to you in terms of um being sensible with my money what was good about that? I didn't have to make any rash decisions like oh, selling my house or selling my car or my shoe collection because I've lost my job. Mm. I was actually able to chill. Not that you said shoe collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my shoes, they're worth something. <laughs> so um, I was fortunate enough to be able to chill for 10 months. You know, mm. I was able to chill for 10 months. And um, coming towards the end of that, I thought, okay, <clears throat> let's do some essential work let's keep the lights on and make sure things are ticking over while my industry picks up which it is picking up again now and I've actually recently acquired a role back to um, where I'm at which is which is really good news and I knew it would just be a matter of time because you know it, it's not gonna we're not gonna have this recession forever so that is good news um, and in between that obviously towards the end I was doing some. I'm doing some essential works at a local warehouse mm. um, to just make sure everything's right, and I don't have to sell my car, or my shoe collection. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it worked out perfectly, and even to be able to, um, uh, you know, live off of what I'm doing now, you know, to to fill the gap. I know a lot of my colleagues would not have been able to and I put that down to just instilling that 20 to 25 percent um what can I call it use of my salary rather than um having living to the edge of it so yeah for many years I always knew that and um I just Hold don't on. think so naturally let me, let me ask just for clarity mm -hmm. you said you only live off 20 to 25 percent of your salary yeah my the salary I was getting yeah no I that 20 to 25 percent of my salary went on all my essential stuff so that would be housing food housing food car <clears throat> electric um, and 20 to 25 percent went to that and the other the, the rest I could save or spend. Wow. Yeah, that that's why I'm saying. <clears throat> so when you ask me how confident I was, I would say very because um I don't I haven't I still haven't yet met anybody that can do that. But as well, it would be very hard for somebody to start doing that with what they're making because they're already they're already in it. Yeah, they they are accustomed to a lifestyle exactly. with the bills that match. Exactly. Whereas I always went below. So when when I started university And when you say below, <clears throat> you live below your means. I live below my means. But still really well. Um until I meet that freedom, then I knew I could really oversplurge. So it's funny because people will look at maybe what I've got and be like, oh she's living like a rich girl or I make twice as much and can't afford the car that she drives and that's just because I've been sensible enough to um create that wealth within um 
how I manage my finances, basically. Mm. So not living hand to mouth. Um, I can give you a really quick example. Um, I remember it wasn't me directly, but a friend of mine speaking to um, one of my bosses who was on like 120,000 a year. And, but he was saying after his, when his salary comes in, after he takes his girls, you know, he's, he's got his girls school fees and he's paying for his like million pound house and his car and his wife's car and their gym memberships and the bills. He's got 300 pounds left over. Mm, every month. Every month. And this man is making twice as much as me. <laughs> so there was something wrong with that. You know, he's obviously, once he became director, you know, everything else has gone up, but without being sensible with his investments and maybe having some residual income so that he he can enjoy more of his salary, you mm. know. So I just learned that really young. I'm fortunate that I learned that early. And I learned it before my cost of living did start growing. Mm. So even now, um, I really want to upgrade my car, but I know I'd be better off buying those two properties first. Then I right, can relax. Yeah, I don't need the car. I want it, you know, and the car's already nice. Why not get something that's going to make you money in your sleep? Then you can start splurging. So, yeah, that's kind of how I've always... And something been. else that we talked about, mm. um, you also do online trading? I trade Forex as well. Yeah, foreign exchange. How so long have helps. you been doing that? I learned two years ago, and I'd say... Eight months ago was when I started doing it at a profit. So again, with me, I'm a slow learner because I really, I think that with decision making, like I said, um, I'd like to say or think of myself as really taking time and not making rash decisions when it comes to finances and especially things that are going to impact your future. So much as I paid for the course, um, to learn how to trade and then um, I wanted to start seeing results really quickly hear these stories of people I knew the fact that I was working full-time as well and then learning something new knowing me I knew I had to take my time and pace myself so I wasn't going to see a return on my investment straight away but I would eventually and I, I did I did start to see that um, yeah from about eight months ago I was able to trade at a level where I can top up you know my my incomes and what what got you interested in trading for an exchange <clears throat> smart smart earning so working less making more or the same that's mm -hmm. what's attractive to me so even yesterday the trading are done so with me um i'm very much an intraday trader and um i like to get in and get out and my goal for each day is two percent so for those of you who aren't intraday traders that means you're trading within <clears throat> an eight hour period that the financial market is open mm -hmm. so you're gonna make a trade you're gonna buy it and then you're gonna sell it within that same eight hour period yeah yeah, yeah. you're gonna buy or sell come in come out shut your laptop <laughs> no winter you know and um yeah that's taken me between 30 minutes and one hour <coughs> excuse me so on average how much do you see uh, monetarily yeah so two percent if you just think of it depends on the size of your account obviously <clears throat> so two percent of so i had a 20 grand account 
two percent mm. of that is four hundred pounds yeah. a day. That's pretty decent. And here in the UK, um, <clears throat> trading is still viewed as is high risk, so it's viewed as gambling. And in the UK, we're very fortunate we don't pay tax on gambling. Wow! So that's four hundred four hundred pound tax free. <laughs> yeah, if if you've got a twenty grand account, I'm just giving you an example, like round figures, because as well, the way I looked at that is. Um, <clears throat> You could put 20 grand into a property, but not really see, you're not going to make 400 pound a day, maybe a month, <laughs> you know, from the tenant's rent after you've paid the mortgage, if you find a property that's that cheap, which you can in the north of England, you know, <clears throat> so um, it just made a lot of sense to get really savvy at that, you know, and um, again, I like to do things really thoroughly, so um within that 18 month learning period i had i also taught myself because uh, you you can do automated trading as well which is what helps me make my two percent so it's called expert advisors they're like robots that are coded into your trading platform and you can use them to help you execute your trades with a precision that suits your style mm. so i done one weekend i done like 30 hours of <laughs> training online um and I taught myself how to make my own robots. Mm. So that helps me with my 2% a day, which is a self-made robot that I have. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. so I have, <laughs> I have uh, one other question I wanted to talk, uh, wanted to ask mm -hmm. before closing out the session. Uh, I can't get away from what's going on currently, you know, current events. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but a year ago today was when the global protests really started after the public murder of George Floyd. Mm. And now the officer who they claim is responsible is on trial. Mm -hmm. And that's going on in the States right now. What mm -hmm. I wanted to ask is, how did you feel when that happened? Um, distraught. I still haven't watched the full video. Just, yeah, I'm such an empath. I, I cannot absorb that, but... Yeah, things like that just just sicken and sadden me, you know. And um, as you know, that really impacted a lot of people global globally. I've even heard like places like Saudi Arabia were protesting, and it was shock for me. And especially hearing the backstory of how um, <clears throat> it started with um, a counterfeit bill that he spent in the shop to buy his cigarettes, and why the police would even want to draw a gun over that when the guy's in his car lighting up. That made no sense to me. So it's almost archaic. Yeah, it was just, yeah, I, I couldn't, yeah, it, I couldn't make sense of um, where that came from and what made that officer feel like that was even okay. <laughs> you know, an unarmed guy, you know, in his car and for what it was as well because obviously if if there was something he, he would have been quick to leave the shop and speed off <laughs> he was outside the shop chilling and didn't know those were his last hours it's so sad yeah I, I can't I, I don't have words the fact that I can't even answer your question directly shows I, I don't have really words for how I feel but yeah obviously very saddened and disappointed and more so for his family and a lot of people that's affected but yeah it's disgusting it, yes mm. follow-up question i wanted to ask 
in your life mm-hmm. doing what you do. What has your experience been like? Being black. Yeah. Being black and a woman. Yeah. <laughs> this is double whammy. Because, um, so my industry as a quantity surveyor, middle-aged white men are my colleagues. Mm. Uh, straight. So um, it has its advantages because people <clears throat> want to maybe pussyfoot around you and make sure one, you're a girl, then you're black. <laughs> so I found people being very careful, but um, I have experienced resentment as well. Mm. You know, um, one, I moved up really quickly. So the senior position um, that I'm in as a quantity surveyor, a lot of people maybe worked 15 years to get there and I've done it in three years Mm. there's that too but you know it was reminding people you know especially looking younger than I am reminding people I'm not in my 20s you know I've got this experience with doing the properties and things that sort of gave me a head start you know because um technically I had that experience with with building and hands-on as well because I do second fix electrics plumbing and carpentry all self-taught so when I'm dealing with the subcontractors I know what I'm talking about so Mm. I did find as well sometimes when I'm dealing with like these middle-aged white men that have taken maybe 20 years to get to know what I know I may I may I have taken that but not in that role Mm. so they're forgetting that they're just seeing oh she was a graduate QS in 2012 and now in 2018 because that's when um I hit the seniority I'm at now. Mm. Like how? But you know, it's, it's almost like I had. I felt like sometimes I had to just remind people. And it's funny when I remind them, and that's why I used to remind I, them. Remind them that I'm not twenty. Oh. You know, I'm not. I'm not twenty or thirty. You know, I'm in my forties. And I think that kind of made people relax a little bit. Like, oh, okay, and she's mature. Like she's worthy. But uh, and as well, don't forget, I'm coming from a self-employed background. So self-employed people are very entrepreneurial naturally and I plan to go back to being self-employed this was always just going to be a little stint of experiencing you know a good um professional grade job Mm. you know but within the industry that I like and then obviously being able to use that money to help me and and experience as well because to be honest me finishing up a lot of the experience and the contacts I've made especially with builders and things that's really going to help me with my personal stuff acquiring more property and developing and your personal exactly that's going to really help and i really want to move into doing hotels as well Mm. um later on so you know this experience is definitely not time wasted but um what you got to remember is so i'm coming from the self-employed background and i've jumped into this profession then i'm going to jump back out a lot of these people have been in the job since they left school Mm. and they're just doing it and then they're going to stay there until they're 70 the retirement age or whatever it is you know and they're quite happy plodding along like that you know whereas for me uh that's not enough it's not enough and um, i think when some see that like oh so there's some resentment i have people trying to railroad me you know so i find that i have to just be that little bit more savvy unfortunately i say unfortunately because i might have to do a little bit more than a white male would have to do Mm. in my industry to uh to show and prove you know i feel like there's that the eyes are on me but um i never fail but i have to I have to be on top form all the time. <laughs> so yeah, that that's my experience with um 
being in this industry but it suits me because I'm a I'm an overachiever anyway so that suits my personality just fine so it's kind of like what I need to to feel driven and motivated to wake up for work okay. in the morning so yeah it okay. works out for my personality all right yeah. um well we're we're getting to wrapping this up cool. but uh something that I would like to do is like a final thought mm -hmm. from the guest from yourself Thanks. what is a key takeaway that you would say to our audience our listeners that they can take on today and apply in their lives immediately in terms of managing finances yes in terms of, okay so again if it's early enough and not too late to be in a position to um have not lived to the edge of their means but like I said, a lot of people are already there. They've already got that mortgage and, and things. So the only thing they can really do then is to um, really start looking at ways to work smart and and grow their asset column. If you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you'll know what your asset column is. But literally it is um, having a pool of assets that are making money for you without you physically working. So, yeah, investing in a property or two so that <clears throat> you're salary what you are you are working for is also topped up by something that you know you've done the work initially for but can actually have you seen a bit more return at the end of each month you know that's um that's a way to get yourself um out of debt really is to acquire assets and have your side hustles <clears throat> with things that suit you Okay. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. This was a wonderful <laughs> interview. Very thank insightful. You. I appreciate you. you taking the time out of your very busy schedule thank you. to come out and grace us with your presence and insight. I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you. And uh, we will speak soon.